0: All right. You have a handout tonight, and uh, open your Bibles to s- a couple places: Second Corinthians uh, eleven, and also First Peter three. We'll read a couple verses tonight. Second Corinthians eleven, and First Peter three. Uh, what kind of prompted this direction was, well, I believe, the Lord, and uh, I uh, was having some discussions in the seminary class. And uh, I thought it's a good time to go over some things here that we haven't gone over in, a, in a, quite some time. And if uh, my records right, the last time we dealt with this subject is uh, it's been quite a while. I, th- I think it was 2009. So I think you're ready for another dose of this. Amen. Probably should have hit a little bit earlier. But Second Corinthians chapter 11, we begin reading in verse, verse one. You know, I, I think it's important to. Uh, Repeat things. I really do. Go over things again, and again, because often you, you teach it and you preach it and you think everybody's got it, but then you get new people come in and you know and you forget that. Well, we went over that. But yeah, but that was way back when, and uh, I need it myself to review some things as well. So Second Corinthians chapter eleven. Notice the Bible says in verse one, as Paul is writing to this church at Corinth. He's concerned about them. He writes, Would to God ye could bear with me a little in my folly, and indeed bear with me. For I am jealous over you with godly jealousy, for I have espoused you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. Amen. But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another Spirit which ye have not received, or another gospel which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. Go down to verse 13. So you understand the concern. Right. And I'll, I'll mention it and explain it here a little bit. But go down to verse 13. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it is no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. Amen. Over to 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15, and we'll go right back to 2 Corinthians 11. Familiar verse, 1 Peter 3 15. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Notice we're to be ready always to give an answer to every man. Amen. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you for tonight. I pray you'd bless as I give forth this message, lesson, whatever it be called. But Lord, I pray you would help us. I need you to fill me with your spirit. I pray that your word would go forth with power and clarity and that you'd give us understanding in this matter. And so bless the message. I do pray if someone's here tonight and is confused or lost and without Christ, yes. that they'd get saved tonight. Amen. For those of us that know you, that we have realized the importance uh, of this message tonight yes, and the pray. equipping that we need to face a lost and dying we world know. and the enemy that's at hand. And so bless the message again, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Now, uh, in this crowd, I would venture to say that all of us know, I would say all of us would know that the primary purpose of the New Testament church is to fulfill the Great Commission. I think we got that. I I hope we, we at least give it a head nod, anyway. We say, I know that that's what we're supposed to do. We're not to be out here having baked sales or, and all those sorts of things. But our goal, what Christ has commanded us to do, and I could go to the verses, we won't go there for time's sake. We know where they are, Matthew 28, verses 18 through 20, Mark 16, 15, uh, Luke 24, 44 through 47, John 20, 21, Acts 1. You should know them all by now. Amen. What we're told to do, to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. This is what we're commanded to do. Every creature. Again, that includes winning them to the Lord Jesus Christ. Those that got saved, to baptize them, scripturally baptize them. Teach them to observe the things that the Lord commands, which includes identifying themselves with or joining a local New Testament church, teaching them, grounding them in Bible doctrine so that they too can go out and reach the world with the gospel. There it is. Now may I remind us tonight also that we are to be on the offensive, right. not the defense. Amen. Right? Jesus said that the gates of hell would not prepare. Uh, not, uh, well, I just messed it up. They, help me out. Prevail against his church. Right? I'm like, prepare. What is that? Where did that come from? Anyway, I, I need some sleep. But anyway, they won't prevail. Right? Gates are a defensive position. That means we're to go after souls. Right? Jude tells us to pulling them out of the fire. We're not to sit back and stay on the defensive, but go after people. I think we get that. And the Lord was very clear that the gospel is to be given to every creature. Now, when he sent his disciples out, go over to Matthew chapter 10. Now, I know know you're probably looking at this and saying, good night. How long are we going to be here tonight? I'm going to go fast tonight when we get to the list. And uh, if, if it gets too long, then you can leave, and me and Brother Strong will be here Amen. together Amen. until the end of the, end of the night. Amen. Amen. Amen? Amen. Matthew chapter 10, again, we find the Lord Jesus Christ sending out, he calls the apostles and he sends them out. Uh, to preach. Uh, and again, notice in, uh, let's pick it up in verse five, these twelve, Jesus said forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles and into any city of the Samaritans, enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. That's where they were to go first. We know the gospel to every creature, though. As ye go preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And of course, he gives them certain sign gifts. uh, But notice what he begins to say in verse 11. And into whatsoever city or town ye shall enter, inquire who in it is worthy, and there abide till ye go thence. And when ye come into an house, salute it. And if the house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it be not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whosoever shall not receive you nor hear your words when ye depart out of that house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. So notice they're told to go and preach. Give the gospel out. But they're also told, hey, there's going to be some that are not going to receive you. There's going to be some that are not going to listen. Uh, And then verse 15, he tells them, well, let's go to verse 16. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues, and ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what ye shall speak. So again, they are to beware of men because they're going to be hated for his right. name's sake. But he tells them, go down to verse 22, we read, And ye shall be hated uh, of all men for my name's sake, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved or delivered. Uh, And then in verse 23, But when they persecute you in this city, flee ye into another. For verily I say unto you, ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man uh, be come. Go down to verse 28. And fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to destroy both body or soul and body in hell. So notice, uh, they're given a lot of warnings here. Why all the warnings? Why? Well, because of the spiritual battle that we're in. Can I remind us tonight, we are in a spiritual battle, and the battle is over the souls of men. We're told in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And we know that behind this battle is the devil himself. Right. Again, be sober, 1 Peter 5, 8, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Now, go back to Second Corinthians chapter 11, okay, because we know it's the God of this world that is trying to blind the minds of them which believe not. That's what he's doing. Amen. How does he do this? Well, if you go back to 2 Corinthians 11, again in verse 13, He sends his ministers out to mess things up. Notice verse 13, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Verse 15, Therefore it is no great thing, notice, if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness. What's the antecedent of the his? Satan, the devil. The devil has ministers. And the devil's ministers have one goal in mind, and that is to prevent people from from receiving the truth of God's word. Now, we see that throughout the New Testament. We won't go there for... Time's sake, because there's a lot I want to say tonight, but we could go to Acts chapter 13, if you remember, as as the Apostle Paul there is on his first missionary journey. Uh, and he comes through the, uh, the island of Cyprus, and he's preaching across the island there. And he meets a man, the deputy of the co- uh, country, Sergius Paulus, and he begins to give him the gospel. We read of a man by the name of Bar-Jesus, or Elimus, who was a sorcerer. And what was he doing there? He was trying to stop Paul from giving him the gospel. He was trying to interfere with what he was doing. He was a minister of Satan. And Paul even says that in verse 10. He says, O full of all subtlety and all mischief, thou child of the devil, thou enemy of all righteousness, wilt thou not cease to pervert the right ways of the Lord? And so we see this in action, his ministers here in the Bible. And understand that one of the tools uh, that the devil often uses uh, to confuse people, to seduce people away from the Word of God, uh, and to turn people against the truth are the cults. Right. The cults. Right. Now, often when we think of the word cult, we think of, you know, those really weird people. Uh, Cult is defined as a religion or religious sect generally considered to be extremist or false. That's interesting. With its followers often living in an unconventional manner under the guidance of an authoritarian, charismatic, Leader And often when we think, oh yeah, those cults, uh, we think of the Branch Davidians or we think of Heaven's Gate uh, or we think of the the Manson family and so forth, uh, uh, groups that we would say, well, they have some sort of bizarre leader and they're isolating their followers and alienating those followers from their friends and families uh, and society and they're getting together and teaching them some bizarre things, uh, even perhaps at times leading them into illegal or immoral behavior, and we say, oh, yeah, those people. Well, yeah, they're cults, but that's not what I'll be dealing with tonight, well, in the next few weeks. I'd like to contend tonight that those types that I just mentioned a moment ago are not the most dangerous cults. They're not. You see, the most dangerous cults are those that the average person probably wouldn't categorize as a cult. I'm not talking about you. and I'm not about the average person that doesn't know the Bible. You see, the most dangerous uh, uh, cults uh, are those that are closest to the truth. That's the most dangerous error. I heard a preacher say that one time. He said that the most dangerous error is that which is closest to the truth uh, and even that which may contain a thread of truth uh, to confuse people. But a broad definition of a cult would be this. It would be any major deviation from orthodox, we could say biblical, Christianity relative to the cardinal doctrines of the faith. And again, the most dangerous cults are those that claim to be in harmony with Christianity. In other words, they call themselves Christians. But they always, being a cult, they always end up denying two things. One is the person of Jesus Christ, who he is, that he is God in the flesh. And then two, the work of Jesus Christ, that he died on the cross to pay for our sin debts in full. Now there are literally thousands of cults that exist in the world, but the four major ones are these. They have books written on four major cults and so forth. Generally speaking, uh, they would say that the Mormons would be one, of course also known as the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, what they preferred to be called today. Uh, The Jehovah's Witnesses would be another, also known as uh, Russellites, Seventh-day Adventists, and then also Christian Science. Those would be the four major cults. But probably the two cults that seem to have the most proselytizing zeal you know and I know would be the Mormons and the Jehovah's Witnesses. I mean, we see them all the time. And they're out there again, kind of when we went through COVID. It seemed to kind of die down there, but I'm noticing them more and more. It's not uncommon for us when we're out there knocking on doors uh, uh, for, the, uh, for us to run into uh, the one of these two cults. Uh, we've seen them on the streets in Dover. They've been at old Dover days. Uh, they have actually set up a little table. I don't know if you notice over here by the uh, Dover uh, bus station uh, sitting out on the edge. There's a little table there as well. When we were at my son's place in uh, Florida not long ago, same thing in one of the parks that we went into, Uh, there was a table set up and all their brochures and everything sitting there, and it was the Jehovah's Witnesses. My my point is they're out there, and there's a lot of them. Uh, Let me just give you an idea, at least according to what they say, of how many there are. The Jehovah's Witnesses claim, this is a 2022 claim, that they have 117,960 congregations worldwide in 239 different countries. You talk to our missionaries, you'll find that they'll say, oh yes, the Jehovah's Witnesses are here. They say, again, these are their statistics. They say that they had, it's funny the numbers they give because they're so specific. I'm like, really? This is what they said. They said that they have 8,699,048 people that identify themselves as Jehovah's Witnesses worldwide. They say that they have conducted over 5.6 million free home Bible studies and they, had, uh, they have 19,700,000 people that attended their annual memorial of Christ's death. Of course, they don't call it Easter or Resurrection Sunday. They call it an annual memorial, but that's a whole lot of Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, The Mormons, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints claim, uh, 2022 as well, to have 31,330 congregations. They have over 300 temples. Matter of fact, when we were just driving out to... uh, down 81 out 66 I saw another one if you've ever been on the beltway the northern side of the you know, Washington beltway you get to a certain place and it's almost like it's like rising out of the horizon this big white building it's a Mormon temple Well, they built another one out 66 again it caught uh, my eye the other day as we were driving there 300 of them now again uh, along with 31,000 of their congregations they are say to have a membership of over 17 million They publish their materials in 188 different languages. They say they have 62,544 full-time missionaries around the world, 27,070 senior church service ministries and uh, missionaries, sorry, and 2,736 young church service missionaries as well. So there's a lot of them out there. Now, the average person sees these two two groups uh, really as maybe annoying, but uh, harmless, you know, whatever, uh, compared to the other ones that I mentioned a little bit earlier. And my question tonight is this, are they? Are they really harmless? Are they people we should say, ah, what's the big deal, and so forth? Tonight, I want to preach a message here on this idea of his ministers And uh, I want to deal with the cults. I'm not going to go too in-depth with them. But I I want us to learn how you and I can discern and also expose their craftiness, see it, discern it, and expose it, and maybe even win some of them to the Lord. That would be the goal from what I'm preaching here in the next couple of weeks. Let's just do, as a matter of introduction, number one, the description of cults. Would you write that down? now notice our text in the Bible it is very clear that there are going to be people out there That talk about Jesus, that mention the Holy Spirit of God, and they use the word gospel, but they're not talking about the Jesus of the Bible, they're not talking about the Holy Spirit of the Bible, and they're not talking about the gospel that the Bible presents. They're talking about, again, in verse uh, 3 and 4 of 2 Corinthians 11, but I fear, Paul was fearful that by any means, just as the serpent beguiled, Eve through his subtlety, so they would be corrupted as well. Notice, for if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, or uh, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another uh, uh, spirit which ye have not received, or another gospel which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with them. In other words, you might fall for it. Somebody comes in and just uses the word Jesus or the word spirit or the word gospel, but uses changes of definitions, more about that later, you, you might just fall for it, he's saying. He's saying, beware of that. Amen. Be careful uh, of that. And what are they trying to do? They're trying to get people, as he said there in 2 Corinthians 11, to bear with them, that ye might bear with them. Uh, that, that has the definition of this, uh, to agree with them. To claim harmony with them, Oh, yes, uh, we must be the same. You're talking about Jesus. We're talking about Jesus. You're saying the gospel. We're saying the gospel. You're talking about the Spirit. So are we. I guess we're the same. No, we're not. Right. Not if it's one of those two groups or other groups right. I mentioned tonight. We had a guy in our church in Oxford, and I, I mentioned this story before. He was, uh, he was Christian for a long time. I was very surprised that he said this to me. But uh, his father was a long-time deacon. The guy wasn't real faithful to church, but he was leaving one night saying goodbye to me. And he had he been gone for a while, and he, was, he went out west on a trip. And, and he had told me, hey, you know, when I was out west, I was at the door shaking hands. He said, you know, when I was out west, uh, guess what I did? He said, I visited a, a Mormon temple. And I, I guess he wanted me to go, oh, wow, that's great. You know? Again, whatever, if you do or don't, I, I'm not going to argue that point tonight. But uh, he did. And the thing that shocked me was what he said right after that. He said, you know, they're they're the same as we are. And I said, let's go back in. I want to preach another message right now, okay? (laughs) They're not the same. They're not the same at all. But he fell for this idea because they're using the terminology more about that later. Now, understand something. Over and over in the Bible, we are told that there are going to be false prophets in this world. People propagating a false message. 2 Peter two one, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction, and many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of." Now, the Bible tells us several things about these false prophets. This is not on your sheet, so I'm just going to throw these out. Uh, you can write them down if you want. But uh, they will pretend to be sent by God, right. according to Jeremiah 23, verses 17 and 18. I'm not going to read it because I want to get into these. There's, we have enough blanks tonight already. So they're going to pretend that they are sent by God, a false prophet. Uh, number two, they're going to be, uh, they are actually influenced by evil spirits. The devil, First Kings twenty-two verses twenty-one through twenty-three. Also, their goal—the goal of the false prophet—is to lead someone into error, right. according to Micah chapter three and verse five. Also, number four, they're crafty. They are. I'm going to read this verse: Matthew seven fifteen. Jesus said, "Beware of false prophets which come to you, watch this in sheep's clothing, right. but inwardly they are ravening wolves." They're going to come looking good and looking nice and looking kind and very winsome in their personality. But inside, they're ravening wolves. And they're going to, according to Jeremiah 14 14, they are going to speak lies in the name of God. Now, the simple way, just to put it simply, to identify a cult is really just to compare their doctrine to the Word of God. And by the way, they love new Christians. They love ignorant Christians. They love Christians that are not grounded in the Word of God. Because they can say things and they'll just sit there, oh, okay, 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 and they'll fall for it. But always ask them, show me that in the Word of God and look for it in the Bible, read it in its context and so forth. Use the Bible and compare what they're saying, what the doctrines of that cult is, to the Word of God. Because Isaiah 8.20 says to the law and to the testimony, if they uh, speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. Amen. They're speaking something that doesn't line up with the Bible. Amen. Again, there's no light in them. So let's go ahead down to this. Some fi- let me give you five marks of a cult. All right, Letter A is this. A cult's doctrine differs radically from the word of God. Okay, it does. Uh, their, their Christology is always wrong. Amen. It always is wrong. Right. They always teach a works salvation, whatever it is they're telling you is on the other side. And they never offer assurance of salvation. Right. Okay, so again, their Christology is wrong. They teach a work salvation, and there's no assurance of salvation. And you know why? Because without the true Christ, again, you can't get saved. There is none, okay? So again, their doctrine differs radically. Let it be. A cult is centered around a specific human authority figure Could be a guru or a guru's and his or their teachings or interpretation. So typically there is a leader or there's a group or there's a person. Uh, Again, often this leader is seen as the infallible interpreter of Scripture. Uh, he'll tell you what the Bible says. You can't read it on your own, no. You have to go to this person and they'll tell you what the Bible says. By the way, the Jehovah's Witnesses, they follow primarily the teachings of Charles Taze Russell and what they call the anointed class. I'll get more into this hopefully later if we continue through down this path. And the Mormons follow the teachings of Joseph Smith, Jr. and their living process, uh, prophets. Uh, uh, so in a cult, there's always someone who stands or poses as the ultimate authority above the scriptures. All Let her see. The cult also has an extra-biblical source of authority. Now they all say, of course they claim to be in harmony with Christianity. Right. Oh oh yeah, oh yeah, we believe the Bible. Most of them will say that. Right. but uh, there's also another book, by the way or uh, uh, their version of the Bible. And so with a cult, they all always have is not just the Bible alone. There's another book, there's another living prophet often that can say what they want to say, uh, that gives new revelation. And often what they'll do is they'll use parts of the Bible out of context to support their views. Uh, but again, there's always this extra biblical source or, of authority. All right, letter D, a cult also conceives itself as being the one true faith and the exclusive possessor of the truth. Right. In other words, the cultists will say that all other religions, all other groups are leading you down a wrong path Uh, path. Their organizations are wrong. By the way, that was the foundational thought uh, of Joseph Smith Jr. and Mormonism. He said he got this vision from an angel, it changed different versions of it, Moroni, that told him all of the religions were wrong, all the people are an abomination, and all their doctrines are corrupt, uh, and I am calling you to restore the gospel of Jesus Christ. To this world. Well, thank God for Joseph Smith. Not, okay? Amen. And so, but that's what they'll say. Everybody else is wrong, and we are the one true faith. Letter E is this a cult is closed minded to the extent that it's uninterested in hearing what outsiders have to say. Uh, normally, it depends on how deep a person is in the Jehovah's Witnesses, but normally they will not take a track. Uh, you might get them too, but they'd have to hide it. Uh, because they are not permitted to get teachings from someone outside of their organization or outside of the anointed class, those that wrote those documents earlier. Not allowed to take it. And so often they'll refuse a tract, they'll refuse talking to you, they don't want to reason with others, uh, and so forth. And so understand, when you hear of any of those things that I just mentioned, Beware it is a mark, or those are marks of a cult. Amen. Okay, so that's how you identify a cult. Number two, write this down on the back. See that we're on the back already. <laughs> Number two, the deception of cults. Okay, so so they deceive. Now, now what may you say, okay, preacher, that, that sounds easy when they come to me. All I have to do is take what they say and compare it to the Bible. Well, that's true, but they're very deceptive. And I'm going to explain to you how they are deceptive. Uh, Notice in verse 13 uh, of our 2 Corinthians 11 text, Notice they transform themselves. This is right out of the handbook here of the cult. They transform themselves into the apostles of Christ. And by the way, don't marvel at that. Satan himself does that, transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it's no great thing if his ministers be transformed, also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness. So that's what they do. You see, what makes it so hard to deal with them is that they are deceptive hence why I'm giving this here uh, tonight and hopefully the next couple weeks in other words they try to make people believe that they are messengers of Christ that they are the messengers of God and what they do more about this here in a little bit is they do this by using Bible terminology and completely redefining the terms You see, both Mormon missionaries and Jehovah's Witness missionaries, or those that knock on your door, they are well trained in their methods. They do, perhaps we could say, a much better job than we do at training our people how to win people to the Lord. They train train people how to deceive people from the Lord. And they have, and I'll bring them up later, little booklets showing them their people how to do it. Uh, And so a nominal Christian is an easy prey uh, to their arguments. Now, when a Mormon missionary comes to your door, typically they will be well-mannered. Typically they'll be attractive, clean-cut young people. And they will often introduce themselves as Christian missionaries. Or they will give some other generic term. They will not come to you and say, hi, we're Mormons. They won't do that. Uh, They will rarely say, we are from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. No, they'll use generic terms. Uh, Some have introduced themselves as members of the Central American Mission, something like that. Uh, And uh, they may ask uh, something like this, could we step in and just have a Christian word with you? Uh, see, that's what they do. You see, both Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons will go to great lengths to avoid identifying themselves. Yeah, right. Now, after many of you are with me on this one. After years of seeing them around, it's pretty easy to, to, to identify them. Many times, by the way, they're dressed. Of course, typically the, the guys that are Mormons will be in the white shirts, short sleeves, little badge, little white tie. There's two of them. They'll ride their bike and have their backpack. Sometimes they'll they'll, they'll do that. And, of course, I always call it the Jehovah's Witness shuffle. They'll have their bags, and you'll see them going down the street, Kind of like this, you know, really slow, and they just kind of drift down the street. Because they're not concerned about souls, they're concerned about themselves. Because they have to put in time so they make it to paradise. And so they have to punch their time clock. So all they're doing is putting in time. So it's merely a shuffle there. But my point is this, you're you're going to have a hard time uh, identifying them unless you ask some uh, some questions, which we'll get to here in a little bit. Part of the training of Mormons is to attend uh, the services of various churches. Now, we've had in this church, we've had a couple of times, I think it was two times since I've been here, a couple of them come. I remember early when I was here, we had two of them when we had red pews. Two of them sit right back there, and I'm thinking, oh, we're, we might win them to the Lord, you know. I'm going to give the gospel and all that. And we ended up talking to them for a long time after the service. They were not interested in the gospel. They were just coming to kind of spy us out to see what we do, see, what we're, see the phrases that we use, the way that we say things and so forth, the doctrinal terminology, because they're training themselves. They're training to deceive. Right. That's what they do. They are deceptive. Exactly. Oh, preacher, you're being so hard on those nights. No, I'm not. Uh, And notice what the Bible says here. It's Satan himself. Same as what Satan does. He's transformed into an angel of light. Okay, so let's talk about two things that they do. What are are some of the things that they do that are deceptive? Two ways they're going to deceive the average person. Uh, Number one is this, by their redefinitions. Okay, so the cults, the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons in particular, what we're dealing with tonight, they both use Christian terms with cult meanings. So you're you're talking to them. By the way, this happens a lot with uh, others, uh, Roman Catholics as well. You're saying one thing, a, a word, and you have a Bible definition of that word. But they have a completely idea of the definition of that word, and they're going to nod and say, oh, yeah, yeah, we believe that you're saved by grace. Right. Okay, well, what are some of the things that they, they redefine? How do they do that? Now, this would be for the Mormons, these examples. All right, number one, write this down. Born again. They use that word that phrase born again. A Mormon will agree with you that, yes, a person must be born again. But to the Mormon, to be born again is a process which begins with water baptism, just like the Roman Catholics teach. I told you one time I was at a funeral uh, uh, of a, in, a, in a Catholic church, and I was sitting in the back, which I tried to do. I, I went there because I wanted to show respect to the uh, the family, so I'm sitting way in the back, and I looked up on the walls. You know, it, It's just a creepy building, in my opinion. The Catholic churches are right. typically real creepy. And, and on the side, it had... Uh, 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 Jesus in the water and, uh, uh, you know, get, not, not getting down like this, but pouring a little shell or something of water over his head, and it said, ye must be born again. They think it's, it's baptism. So you tell a Catholic, you must be born again. Yeah, I'm born again. Of course I am. Same with a Mormon. Oh, yeah, you must be born again. It's that process of sal- their way of being saved that begins with water baptism. Right. Also the word grace, number two. You're saved by grace. The Mormon will say, yes, we're saved by grace. So again, we're talking two different languages here. So what do they mean? To the Mormon, grace is the ability that God gives you to obey Mormon doctrine. That's what it is. It's grace. And so they'll say, certainly you're saved by grace. God gives you the ability to be a Mormon and to do the things the Mormon church asks you to do. And that will get you to godhood eventually. Here's another phrase, number three, uh, son of God. Uh, to, the, to the Mormon, Jesus is the son of God. Now, we know what that means. Uh, the Amen. Bible itself defines it because right. they were, when Jesus said uh, that, that, they were going to stone him because he made himself equal with God. You may, he said he was his son. Equality with God. Deity, that's what that phrase means. Oh. To the Mormon, yes, oh yeah, he's the son of God. But that means that he, Jesus, was a man who through obeying the Mormon rules became a god. So he is a son of God, just like anybody else who's trying to attain godhood, right? They're working their way. So he made it, again, son of God. And again, to the Jehovah's Witness, that means he was just a man. They use number four, the word salvation. Oh, yeah, you need to be saved to the Mormon. It is salvation is the reward of godhood earned by following the rules of the Mormon church. You have to do all the things they say you have to do. And so they'll use the word salvation. Are you saved? Well, yeah, yes, I'm saved, they will say. I'm, I'm on my way to Godhood. All right, number five, they also use the word scriptures. Do you believe the scriptures? Of course I believe the scriptures, a Mormon would say. We read the scriptures all the time. Well, to the, to the Mormon... The Scriptures are more than just the Bible. Matter of fact, it's not just the Bible as we would say the King James Bible. You see, when we say the Scriptures, we're talking about the King James Bible for English-speaking people. That's what we believe. Those translations that are under the received text and TR that are, again, in foreign languages, that are uh, Masoretic texts and and received texts. And so we get that. But to the Mormon, when they say the Scriptures, they're talking about four different books. They're talking about the Book of Mormon. They're talking about uh, uh, doctrine and covenants. They're talking about the Pearl of Great Price. And they're talking about the Bible, as long as it's translated correctly. Now when they say that phrase, as long as it's translated correct- correctly, What they mean is with Joseph Smith's additions in there, because Joseph Smith attempted to rewrite the Bible, writing in chapters. I mean, he had Adam getting baptized, all kinds of crazy things. We could talk about that later. But they only believe the Scriptures as long as it's translated correctly, meaning that Joseph Smith's translation. You say, well, why don't they carry around Joseph Smith's translation? They would tell you this. Well, it's not good to carry that around for proselytizing purposes. We carry around the King James Bible. To deceive people to think that that's what we believe, when in fact they do not believe it. Here's another phrase, number six. Heavenly Father. Oh, that's that's one you hear a lot. Oh, yes, I believe in Heavenly Father. And we say, our our Father which art in heaven, we pray. And we understand that means the one true and living God. That's it, there's one. To the Mormon, their Heavenly Father is Elohim. Now, Elohim is one of many gods uh, who was a man and through obedience to the teachings of the Mormon church became a god over this universe of of which earth is a part of. So to them, uh, the heavenly father of our universe is Elohim. But there's a bunch of other gods, uh, people that were Mormons that made godhood and so forth. Uh, And so they say you and I can become one of those as well. So they think a heavenly father isn't what you're talking about. It's Elohim. And then number seven, last one, is eternal life. There's more, but these are just some of the main ones. Eternal life. Eternal life to them, what would we say? Well, that's going to heaven when you die. No, no, not for them. Uh, and it's very complex with the Mormon church. But, uh, but basically it means when you become a god yourself. And by the way, if you become a god, you'll have many wives because you earned it following the rules of, uh, of Mormonism. And so, yeah, they get a lot of young men say, well, yeah, I'd like to be one of those, you know. Uh, That's how they think. So, again, point is this. When you are talking to a Mormon, understand you're speaking two different languages. And so you have to get them to define terms. Or when they say things, buttonhole them and ask them, well, do you, Heavenly Father, uh, do you mean uh, there's only one God? And they may say, well, yeah, one God of this, of this universe. Or, or are there many gods? So you have to ask some pointed questions. So again, one of the ways they deceive people uh, is through their redefinitions. Letter B, there's another way that they deceive people, and that is through their omissions. Now, while coming to your house, a Mormon will uh, tell you how your church is wrong and the Mormon church is right, uh, there are many points that they will intentionally leave out. Because they know if they say it, you're going to say, I don't think so. So they only say certain things, they're going to make you think, oh, they're like us. Oh, they're nice people. Oh, yeah, we seem to believe the same thing. But they leave things out that they know will be an offense to the average person that knows the word of God. Amen. Okay, what are some of those things? Well, one of the things that they won't tell you off the bat is that you can become a god. Right. That's what they believe. I know a Mormon they don't believe. yes they do they just won't tell you that unless you pointedly ask them do you believe that a man can earn and become a god ask them that okay because they absolutely believe that Uh, there's another thing they won't tell you they won't tell you that they believe Jesus Christ and Satan were brothers they were spirit brothers uh, just a really really weird doctrine more about that later we're just trying to just trying to show you that there, the cults leave things out right. All right number 3 they won't tell you this they won't tell you that Jesus Christ was a polygamist that he, when he was on earth that he he uh, uh, he had many wives that's what they that's what they that's what they but they won't they won't tell you that at the door right, All right number 4 they also believe that Adam was god now that's since changed, but uh, but at the beginning of their doctrine, that's what they what they, they they believe. They, they're not going to tell you that. And then number five, they won't tell you about uh, their holy underwear. Right. Okay, they they won't. They wear sacred quote garments for protection. That's what they wear. That's part of what they believe. My point is this, that, that these are things, they, they're trying to reel you in. They're trying to get you involved, bring you in through kindness and through family. And isn't the world a terrible place? And don't you need a place? Don't you want to learn the Bible? Uh, those are all the tactics of the cult, the cult. And then once you get in, they start systematically weaving their false doctrine into your mind. And you're gonna sit there and say, what in the world did I get myself into? So be careful because the, the design is to woo you in by their redefinitions and their omissions. Uh, and again, I say this, ask them, and you might have write that, might want to write that now. Ask them some pointed questions, okay? Right. Uh, they have this idea that their their church has restored the gospel. And my point is, I just try to hit it right at the beginning. And I say, why did the gospel need to be restored? Jesus Amen. said that the gates of hell would not prevail. There Amen. I said, I remember the, the word. Amen. Not prevail against his church. And so if the gospel needed to be restored, then it was lost somewhere. Oh, yeah, it was. And Joseph Smith brought it back. It was never lost. Amen. Never Amen. lost. There was always churches upon the face of this earth, Christ's churches, my churches, as we said, that gave the gospel out. Okay, so the number three and lastly, so we see the description of the cults, we see the deception of the cults, and then third and lastly, the decision of the Christians. Okay, so what do we do with this? Go to 3 John, if you would, please. Now, most believers would say, well, I'll just lock my door. I just will avoid them. I'll just turn the, you know... Uh, the blind pull the blinds down and no no and if they come up to me I'll just walk away and say I'm not interested. You know what you can do that if you want to but that's have you ever thought this maybe God brought them to you so that you would give them the gospel. Amen. But we have to be very careful, right? Third John, notice verse seven if you would please. Third John um, oh, I'm sorry, second John and verse seven second john for many deceivers are entered into the world who confess not that Jesus Christ has come in, in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. There it is. It's the doctrine of Christ, the deity of Christ. And uh, Look to yourselves that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Whosoever transgresseth and abideth not in the doctrine of Christ hath not God. He that abideth in the doctrine of Christ, he hath both the Father and the Son. If there come any unto you and bring not this doctrine, receive him not into your house, neither bid him Godspeed, for he that biddeth him Godspeed is partaker of his evil deeds. So what do we do? Um, remember again, we are commanded to preach the gospel to every creature. We're, our goal is not to win a debate or an argument. Our goal is to win them to Christ. Amen. And so what we should do is we should know their doctrine well enough and our doctrine well enough that we can reveal their error from the word of God. Amen. So again, notice the verses. We, If a visitor knocks on your door, I would insist, first of all, that they identify themselves. Right. Right. Because they won't want to. Who are you and why are you here? Nothing wrong with that, okay? And again, if they are a cult, that means they do not carry with them the doctrine of Christ. I do not believe we should invite them into our houses. That's just what I, I, it just says it right here. I just don't think we should, or bid them God speak. God right. bless you. You guys go. Just God bless you. No, no, not God bless you. Amen. No, God bless you here. Right. Okay, you're 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 one of His ministers. Right. Okay, uh, and, and and don't don't let them think we're on the same team. Right. Because make we're it clear not. we're not. Amen. But we should at the door. Nothing wrong with compassionately trying to win them to Christ. Now, there are times when it's, 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 it is time to walk away. Brother Strong, on that one, we had gone on one door, and this guy was just so far out. I just said right off the bat, let's just go. Because I knew we were getting absolutely nowhere with this guy. Could not reason with him. If you showed him the word book, and I said, what's that say? Well, I don't know what it says. It says book. No, no, it doesn't say that. What's it say? Well, it doesn't say, you know, it's, let's just get out of here. It's not worth it. So there's time to do that. But there are times also that you might say, you know what, I'm going I'm to try to win this person to the Lord. But we need to be equipped Amen. to do that. Yes. And that means understanding our own doctrine, Amen. knowing the Bible well enough to defeat what they say, and also not falling for their deception of their redefinitions of words and them trying to not say things that we know they believe. Right. And that's what really this, this is about. Because I've been seeing lately more and more Jehovah's Witnesses. I saw a couple Mormons uh, probably a week or two ago right. uh, in Center City, Center City Dover as well. So it seems like they're coming out of the woodwork again. Those are souls that Jesus Christ died for. Right. They are yeah. deceived. Yeah. I get it. And there's a time when we can win them to the Lord. Again, there's that, that's, just, that's just wisdom of whether to go forward or not based on whether they're receiving it or not. Right. But my point is this. We need to know what to say and how to deal with them. Amen. Amen. But his ministers are out there. Let's not run and hide from them. Let's not be afraid of them. Let's take our Bible and go after them. Amen. I wouldn't invite them into your house. Don't sit them down. Don't give them a cup of coffee. Hey, brother. You, no, we're not doing that, okay? I'll talk to them at the door. And try to reveal to them that Joseph, Joseph Smith, my, my, my kids always laugh at this because we had Mormons at the door a few years ago. And uh, I got into it back and forth with them and, and they ended up running away. And I was shouting, I don't know what, was, what came over me, but I've been to shout, I shout. I was shouting across the street, Joseph Smith was a false prophet. He was a false prophet. Amen. And I'm thinking, oh, I have neighbors, that's right. <laughs> oh, well, my kids laugh at that all the time. But my point is this, they are souls. And they need to be saved. Amen. We're in a spiritual battle. Are you willing to equip yourself to try to win them to the Lord? That's good. Amen. Because they need to be saved as well. Amen. Amen.